ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I'm joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, and a wonderful guest that we will bring back onto the show here momentarily. But first, I want to let you know that there are various ways that you can get in touch with this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow our blog that we write for, uh, grizzlybearblues.com, at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow me on Twitter if you so choose, and I would desperately ask that you do so because I've lost 50 or so in the last week or so for some uh, undisclosed reason that we don't need to discuss on the show, uh, at Joe Mullinax. And then you can follow my associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. He does a tremendous job with our big board that we're doing. Uh, we're pretty prepared for the NBA draft, if you haven't noticed, and a big hand in that is Mr. At Paca underscore Flocka himself, Parker Fleming. How are you, sir? You know what? Uh, last time you asked me how I was doing on the show, you said we're in a global pandemic. So I'm just trying to have a uh, glass half full approach in the middle of a uh, global pandemic and in civil unrest. So, yeah, trying to stay good. Trying to stay good. I think that's a good way to look at things, trying to stay as positive as you can. And, hey, we have Grizzlies basketball coming back. And, hey, they just released their updated uh, uniforms for the year, which look pretty sharp to coincide with the 20th anniversary of the franchise moving to Memphis. And who better to have on the show on such a day where the team announces these updated uniforms that aren't really updated because they've been around in the past. They're just making a comeback. One of the great Grizzly minds out there to discuss things with from the Daily Memphian. He's been on the show in the past, but it's been a while. We're excited to have him back. Mr. Chris Harrington. Chris, how are you doing, sir? Doing well. What's up, guys? We're doing okay. Uh, we, we appreciate your time as always. We know you're a busy man, so we'll jump right in and we'll begin with those uniforms just as a short aside because I do think that, and I, I wrote the news blurb for it over at the blog and I wrote at the end, in a year full of so much ugliness uh, to have a beautiful site like Grizzlies basketball coming back it is refreshing. Obviously, Chris, you know the history of the organization as well as anybody. One of the main reasons the Grizzlies came to Memphis in the first place was to try to be that vitalization point economically, socially for the city. It is kind of a well-timed uh, rebranding, so to speak, even if it's just for one year. A reminder of you know the beginnings of something, something new, what it was at the time when the team first came to Memphis, and all that excitement kind of brings with the new season coming, as Parker alluded to, in the midst of a uh, a pretty remarkable end to a pretty remarkable year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I like those uniforms. I mean, I remember them from the first go around. Um, I, I, you know, the, the ones last year were super popular. Um, I was not as quite as into them as a lot of people for a couple of reasons. One, maybe I'm showing fashion wise, the teal was too much for me on those. I like the teal as an accent better rather than the, the main color. Uh, you know, so I like that better. And then the Vancouver thing didn't bother me in terms of the throwbacks, but it bothered me in terms of those uniforms becoming so popular outside of Memphis and becoming such a thing. Like, you know, John Morant was on the cover of Slam magazine with Vancouver across his chest, which I think caught the Grizzlies organization a little off guard. I don't think they realized, oh, wait a minute, that's that's what it's going to look like on the cover, that, that it's going to say Vancouver, not Memphis. So I'm happy that the throwbacks this year will say Memphis on the front. And also, I just sort of like them better. I like the teal, like I said, as an accent um, rather than as sort of the dominant cover color, which is a little much for me. I'm with you on that. I like this version better, a, a lot better, to be honest with you. I like the black. The The teal really does kind of pop with the black, and you even have the red outline there on the trim as well. Uh, Parker, you're unique to Chris and, and to me in terms of your uh, your newness to the world <laughs> compared to the two of us. 
Um, so obviously you don't have the experience with, like Chris said, uh, that initial push, or at least being an adult when all that occurred. When you look at these uniforms as a throwback, you know, do you think, you know, Chris kind of mentioned that he likes these better than last year's. Do you think that people will appreciate this year's version better because of the Memphis across the chest? Because I know Chris has talked about this in the past, you know, during the beginnings of the pandemic, we did the greatest Grizzly of all time and all that stuff. Uh, Chris, I know you're going to do a lot more of that stuff now with the 20th anniversary of Memphis happening. Uh, Parker, do you think that this throwback will resonate even more than the one from last year? I think it's really just going to be one of those. It's going to get the recognition it finally deserves because like Chris said, the Vancouver one's always the most popular ones. And this one really just pops because of its cleanness. And then the, you know, the use of the, uh, the red accent and stuff like that. And, I know it's going to take me back to my childhood. Fun fact, when those uniforms were a thing, I was six years old. So, um, but yeah, that's where I grew up loving to loving basketball and watching Pau Gasol, Mike Miller, James Posey, Shane Battier, Jay Will, those teams in the pyramid. I actually sat next to Lorenzen Wright's grandmother in the 2004 playoffs when they played wow. San Antonio Spurs. So I'm really excited about it. I, I really hope that it not only just becomes a hit here, but kind of catches a national eye as far as one of the cleaner jerseys in, in the NBA. And obviously there's levels to NBA fandom nowadays, and we could have a whole nother podcast about that and enjoying the league uh, on social media, as opposed to watching all the games and the reasons the ratings are down and all those things. But I do think it'll be cool to see John Morant uh, on highlights on SportsCenter wearing those uniforms with Memphis across his chest. I'm with you, Chris. That'll be uh, for me. That'll be a little more meaningful as a fan, as a blogger, all those things uh, to see that Memphis across instead of the Vancouver shout out. Um, the main reason we have you here, Chris, is we are now less than a week away from the, or I guess exactly a week away, where the draft will be starting here. Uh, and it's one of the most uncertain drafts in NBA history. If there was ever a year to not have a first-round pick, this might be the year. So the Grizzlies uh, hit a home run on that front. They obviously conveyed their 14th overall pick in this draft to Boston uh, as part of the Jeff Green deal that finally uh, can be laid to rest. Memphis does have a, a second-round selection, 40th overall from the DeAnthony Melton trade that they pulled off last year. I'm curious, Chris, as to your overall perception, because we at GBB, you know, I think that there's covering the draft, and then maybe we we dove in a little too deep. Uh, we, we have content quotas and things like that that we're supposed to match up with. So we've done over 50 draft profiles and big boards, and, you know, there's all sorts of things. I didn't even know Justinian Jessup was a, a person. I thought Justinian was just a Byzantine emperor uh, until I saw that name from Boise State. So I'm definitely more prepared for this draft than I've ever been. But at the same time, it, this has the makings and the screamings of one where obviously last year Memphis was a little more active, having two first-round selections. I feel like this draft, at least initially, is giving the opposite vibe besides the obvious they only have one second-round pick. The roster's already pretty much set, and it seems like a lot of their business that they're going to have to do will come after the draft proceedings have finished. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on the opposite end of you, Joe. I, I am less prepared for this draft than any other ever, and and that's okay because this draft is not going to mean much for the Grizzlies, I don't think. Um, for me personally, like my my level 
like I grew up a big college basketball fan and now I'm not really not. And so I really mostly watch other than the NCAA tournament. I mostly watch college basketball through an NBA prism and specifically from a work standpoint, from a Grizzlies prism, because if the Grizzlies aren't involved, I'm not going to be writing about it for the most part. And so I really, my watching really sort of changes year to year based on the level at which it matters to the Grizzlies. And then even then, I really start honing in midway through the college basketball season, like late regular season, conference tournaments, NCAA tournament. That's when I really start going hard watching. And none of that happened. Like the right. college season just, just ended. So obviously, it just kind of finished immediately, you know, right yeah. when it was supposed to start. So with the Grizzlies only having a mid second round pick, and we didn't know for a fact early on that they weren't going to have a first round pick, but it seemed likely. And if they were, it was going to be in the middle of the, of the first round. So with the Grizzlies not having a first round pick and then the college basketball season, you know, vanishing, like I just didn't, you know, I didn't bother trying to watch a lot of these players. And so when I wrote about the draft this year, I wrote about it from a standpoint of types of players rather than me giving specific opinions on specific players and trying to think about what types of players you know, tend to succeed out of the second round, A, and then B, what types of types of players might, you know, mean might be relevant for the Grizzlies or might might fit into a roster that to your point is pretty full. Like barring trades, like right now they have 12 players under guaranteed contract for next season. And that's that's fully guaranteed. That's not including like restricted for agents they'll probably bring back. It's not including, you know, two-way guys they might you know, keep it like fully of 12 players in a fully guaranteed contract. So I, I looked through, I looked at the draft this year through a much more specific kind of prism than I normally would. And that holds a lot of value, right. to be honest. You know, I, I think that there's a lot to that Parker. We're on the opposite end, like I said, a moment ago. And I do think Chris's view is a fair one because there's definitely specific kinds of players that the Grizzlies should be targeting if they only drafted 40 uh, we've talked about this a little bit, obviously, at the blog, and by a little bit, I mean extensively. Um, but at the same time, I do think that, uh, like I said, tip of the cap to you, 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 you kind of led the charge on this front. How do you feel going into it, you know, the specific types of players that Chris was talking about? Which one, if you had to pick a, 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 a number one priority, aside from best player available, because I feel like all three of us can agree that that should always kind of be the goal. Um, right. But if you have two guys on the board, three guys on the board that are all comparable in terms of tiers, what should be the top priority of this franchise positionally? If, you, if you're trying to go away from those old school point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, you know, you have ball handlers, you have wings, you have bigs. You know, if those are our three groupings, what does a roster that already pretty much, assuming DeAnthony Melton comes back, uh, obviously Jonte Porter's team option, 12 to 13 guys are already kind of signed in. What does this team need to prioritize with that second round pick? Is that for me? Yeah, go uh, ahead, Chris. Yeah, and then we'll go um, to Parker. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm going to answer the position thing quickly, but but I don't think that's the main way I would think about it. But but from a positional standpoint, I would say there's not much use in drafting a big as long as you still want Jonte Porter, Jonte Porter to be a, to be a developmental big on the roster. Um, I feel like the developmental center position, there's only so many of those guys you're going to carry on a 15-man roster. And if they still want to develop Jonte Porter, to me, there's probably not much use taking a big at 40. Um, I think if they want to carry three point guards, then that's a great place to take one, honestly, if the right if the, if the right guy is there. Like to, to have a young point guard you're going to develop for a couple of years and maybe when Tyus Jones' contract is up, he, st- he moves up into the rotation. To me, that would make a lot of sense. 
but you could all you could always use, I mean, there's always room for wings and forwards. Like 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 you know, you can always find room for those. There's more utility there. But I would think about it more in terms of skill set than position, in the sense that I think if you're drafting a player in the second round, you assume they're going to be a role player at best. Like, maybe, you know, some every once in a while you get lucky and get a star, but you're assuming you get a role player. And I think for this team, I think we sort of know because the foundation is John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. that in terms of role players you you put around them, I think the two things you really need are shooters and rebounders. You need three-point shooters to play with John Morant. You need rebounders like at, at all positions to play with Jaron Jackson Jr., and so those are skill sets I would I would sort of prioritize in terms of role players, regardless of position. Mike Prada, who used to work for SB Nation, uh, he does a newsletter that I subscribe to now. Uh, he made a very convincing argument that rebounding moving forward in his mind should be a team stat. It, it shouldn't right. matter what you grab individually. It should be a total team effort. And I think that that should be music to the ears of Jaron Jackson Jr. So uh, that, makes, <laughs> that makes total sense to me. Uh, Parker, I'll ask you the same question. What do you think? The team needs to prioritize. We'll get into the specific names in a second. Uh, but in terms of the shooters, rebounders, maybe a good way to piggyback off of what Chris was just talking about. Do you do you prioritize one more than the other? Or if you have somebody fall into the second round, like a Robert, a Robert excuse me, uh, Woodard Jr., or the second, I think, or third, forgive me, for Mississippi State, um, he kind of combines the two, right? He's a guy who has shown some ability to shoot. He's shown some ability to rebound. Are you looking for the versatility there? Or if somebody like... Uh, you know, I, uh, the center from can from Kansas, whose name is off the top of my head. Uh, Chris just talk- there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Chris just talked about not needing yeah. a big, but maybe Jonte Porter isn't in the plans or from a three point shooting perspective, if you want to prioritize somebody like a Marcus Howard from Marquette as that third point guard, who's an elite shooter, which skill set do you think they should prioritize? I like Chris's idea of taking the next backup point guard, but maybe Marcus Howard wouldn't make sense in that situation because he's already older. Maybe you take the youngest, highest potential point guard on the board at that point. Right. Yeah, I was uh, reading Chris's feature that he did on the draft last week, and we echoed the same sentiment that I've echoed in uh, draft profiles when it comes to, you know, I did profiles on Yudoka Azabuki and Nick Richards. Unless you're sure that that player is better than Jonte Porter and you're not going to bring Jonte Porter back, draft that guy. Otherwise, I'm not really for drafting a big man. With drafting a third point guard, I just saw the team go in shambles without Tyus Jones. And I know we're not supposed to get into specific players right now, but if a guy like Peyton Pritchard or Trey Jones fell into that re- range, I would, want the, I would want them to make Mark Tatum run to the podium and draft that guy. I really think they need to prioritize wing depth to prepare for a potentially massive offer sheet for D'Anthony Melton, but also to prepare for a potential Kyle Anderson trade. And I guess as a segue to get into specific names, I really like Elijah Hughes from Syracuse. Really good three-level score, has great positional size at the two and the three. And a guy that I wrote about last week is a fit next to Jaron and Ja, and that Chris wrote about in his draft feature is Jordan Nuara, who graded as one of the best shooters in the combine but also that can rebound at an elite level for his positional archetype as a wing. So it just kind of depends on who's who's on the board. And as we've seen from this draft, guys that we see in mocks at 25 could easily fall to 45. So I just want to see what shakes out on draft night, but it's a 1A, 1B with a wing and a point guard. I, I, I have someone... 
Yeah, I had someone who knows a lot more about this than I do, who I talked to, say that like if Trey Jones is there, they should just run and draft Trey Jones, which would be funny to have the, the two brothers together. That would I be weird. I didn't really include him in my thinking just because every like mock I looked at had him, you know, pretty fair, pretty either late first or very, very early second. And so like, but, but he would fit like the type I'm talking about and the Peyton Pritchard, the person I talked to who said, well, Trey Jones, I should just run and grab him if he's there. I said, what about Peyton Pritchard? They said, oh, I'd totally take him at 40 if he's there too. And so like those, those kind of like, and there's a good history of sort of those, you know, accomplished college point guards going from the early second round, the Jalen Brunson's and Devontae Graham's and Malcolm Brogdon's. There's a pretty good history there with those kind of players. And Nawara, and again, I haven't really watched a lot of these guys, but, but, you know, Parker's sort of point sort of as I had written that, that combination of, at least in college of high level three point shooting plus high level rebounding, like in one player, like to me that that's sort of a hard combo to find. And so whether that translates to the NBA, like, I don't know, but that combination from a guy who's projected in the second round seems pretty enticing to me. I would be very interested in him for sure. Uh, we've broken him down. I like the Marcus Howard because I did a series of two-way player types that I, I really like him as a shooter. I like, you know, we talked about how the Grizzlies have a type very clearly. Uh, they like high IQ guys, guys with chips on their shoulders, those, uh, those high motor work ethic types. Um, and I think all the names that we've talked about are good examples of that. Memphis is in a really good spot. And I think that's going to kind of tie into what we're going to talk about in the next segment. Uh, they don't have to rush to do anything. You know, the things that they need can be easily achieved at that 40th overall pick. It's highly unlikely there's a run on point guards. Like you don't, I don't think that you'll see a Trey Jones or, uh, you know, a Peyton Pritchard, Malachi Flynn, who I know Parker's high on. You know, all the, it's highly unlikely that all those guys are going to go 36, 37, 38. You know what I mean? Like there's so much uh, point guard depth at these other positions that are picking in front of Memphis, that it's likely that at least one or two of those guys fall. And the Nawara from Louisville, you know, he, he's a guy that's pretty universally set in those second rounds. So it seems like he's probably going to be uh, there for the picking for the Grizzlies. But again, we talk about flexibility. We talk about the opportunity Memphis is going to have to kind of call their shot whenever they see fit moving forward. Is there anybody on the trade market that might be worth that entering the 2020 NBA draft? I'm going to ask Chris Harrington that moving forward. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Joining, of course, or joining me, of course, as always, is my co-host and associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Parker Fleming, our guest on this episode of the show, this uh, NBA draft preview edition of GBB Live. Next week, we'll be back with a review of what Memphis did. Uh, but this week, who better to talk Grizzlies basketball heading into the most uncertain offseason in history uh, than Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Chris Harrington. Uh, Chris, the GBB Live question of the day, which I'm disappointed people didn't take the bait on this. Um, I, I was hoping for a better turnout in our poll because we had Jessica Benson, of Grind City Media, Shotgun of LaCroix Water for some reason. And I, I wanted to talk about that. There was a coffee thing going around, and I wanted to see, Chris, if you were a, a psychopath like the other people that are, you know, the black coffee F6 folks um, on that chart. You know, just some silly things. But the main thing I wanted to talk to you about was something that Parker found in an article. Uh, Parker, it was Bobby Marks, right? I really hate that I shared that because you had people <laughs> that believed it. And right. I had it's uh, good for John content Roser. though. Yeah, John Roser 
reply to me goes, the Grizzlies aren't traded for Russell Westbrook. It's not one of those things. I thought it was like weird that they put that one with Russ instead of with Harden, like made kind of more sense than Westbrook, but it's more of a celebration of assets to be honest. And I want to use that as a window into a larger conversation because I definitely don't think Russell Westbrook and that, by the way, won our poll uh, for the question of the day, as I hoped it would just by a larger amount. Uh, I I don't want this to be a conversation about Russell Westbrook because I don't think he's coming to Memphis. I don't think James Harden is either. It's a larger conversation about what this offseason should look like for this team. And if you truly believe that John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. can eventually be as good as Russell Westbrook and James Harden, because if, if you're of that opinion, no trade should be made that would take the ball out of their hands. But if you have that concept, that means that you are willingly being patient with acquiring that next third star or you're willingly waiting until 2021 as Parker has talked about a lot to put some restricted free agency offer sheets out to a Duncan Robinson or an OG and an OB and you're not bringing in or making a push for a Bradley Beal or a Drew Holiday or one of these others or a Chris Paul even you know just the names that have been floated out there obviously Chris Paul doesn't make sense with the Grizzlies but my point Chris and I'm kind of curious to your take on this I don't know that I would make any of those trades at this point because I want further evidence that if the next great Grizzlies team is going to be a championship contender, I think that you could still say the jury's out on whether or not John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. are the first and second best players on that team. And if you believe as an organization that those two guys can be your two, can be your LeBron and AD seven years down the road, then there's no point in making any deal that would negate their development in the here and now that's kind of my take on it. What, what's your view of, of what Memphis should do this off season and beyond with that kind of perspective, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I, I've sort of made the point that, that the Grizzlies are w- very well positioned to try to make a major trade sometime in the next couple of years, if the right um, opportunity presents itself, but the right opportunity has to present itself for one. And I don't, you know, the, the Westbrook thing is just silly, like on its face in terms of the Grizzlies going after Westbrook. But the but the underlying point that they have the asset structure in terms of picks, in terms of, you know, players of value on decent contracts, in terms of bigger expiring contracts, like they have all the components to put together a good trade offer. Like that, that, that is that underlying sort of principle, I think is true. Um, I think a lot of the names that get out there and Chris Paul is like an extreme man, but even like Drew Holiday would be jumping the gun. And so I, I don't think they should be jumping the gun on this. Um, honestly, the the best path to like a third quote unquote star, it's probably still through the draft. Um, I would sort of more than likely prefer to wait till next summer. Let's see, you know, if they miss the playoffs, let's see where that draft pick lands. Um, let's see what the free agent landscape looks like when you you have cap space, you've kept your powder dry. So for the most part, like I would be reluctant to do major trades right now. Um, the one name that's been out there that that I would consider, and the other ones I wouldn't even consider that have been thrown out, would be Bradley Beal. Like for the right price, I th- I would have some interest in that. Um, but the price would have to be the right price. Like I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not moving like the Grizzlies draft pick. Obviously next season, I you know, I'd I'd almost be reluctant to move any first round picks if you know, given given his contract. That's one I would at least talk about because I think the fit would be great in terms of having a big time shooter on the wing between John Jaron, but I don't think they need to be in a rush to do anything. And if anything, I think 
the landscape going into next summer relative to their draft pick and their cap space and what they can do with it might be a better thing to play with than trying to sort of mess it up now to jump the gun. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris, because sometimes I write things at grizzlybeardblues.com and I get attacked so viciously in the comment section that I, I worry that I'm I'm starting to lose it. I've been doing this for too long now, probably, and, and people just uh, want to disagree with me to disagree with me, be contrarian. But I, I've held the exact same point of view in, in terms of being patient. And, you know, I've, I've tweeted, and I know you have too, and talked about the idea of being in a position where if Chris Paul does go to Phoenix, that's a good thing for Memphis because that means the Suns are all in to make the playoffs this year. And I think they could, you know, realistically be considered a favorite for that seven or eight seed or that at least that play in uh, after that trade. But at the same time, uh, to go get sacrificed to the Lakers, to, to go get destroyed by the Clippers or the Denver Nuggets or, or somebody of that ilk, you know, I, I just don't see the value in that when the Grizzlies have done such a tremendous job of acquiring, like you said, keeping their powder dry with contracts. If Justice Winslow doesn't work out, that's another $13 million that can come off the books. You don't know what your draft situation is going to be in 2021. It could be a lottery pick with the flattening of the odds. It could be a top four lottery pick. There's just so much that they've done to put themselves in a spot that if they're good, then maybe that means that in the summer of 2021, you want to make a trade like Phoenix is going to try to make and take that next step. If you're not as good and you're in the lottery, you have a chance to acquire that talent via trade. Parker, Chris made the point, and I agree with him. Maybe you're one of the maybe one of the people that hates me over at GBB is a burner for you. Um, but I feel like I'm taking crazy pills sometimes because it's not like you're talking about the team tanking. You know, I don't want them to go out and trade away all of their good basketball players and be as bad as humanly possible. The, the beauty of this to me going into this season is they can be as good as they want to be. If they're naturally not as good and it's another developmental year, all of that is fine. You are now free from worrying about conveying picks and being capped out. All the flexibility is there for you to handle and take advantage of. And this front office has done nothing but earn credit with us when it comes to being in a position to take advantage of those opportunities when they come along. So I'm optimistic regardless of how the season goes, Parker. Uh, but I, I, whenever I say that I don't think that they need to make a move for a buddy healed and eat up a lot of their cap space in the next three years to be, you know, four wins better in a 72 game season. I'm uh, people treat me like I'm, you know, covered in garbage. And I feel like that's not that hot of a take. It's really not. The West is going to be absolutely loaded because the Warriors are going to be back. Portland's certainly going to be better with having Nurkic for the majority of the season. You have Phoenix making trades like that. Even if New Orleans trades Drew Holiday, they still have Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Lonzo Ball that can still, and then JJ Redick is still on the team too. So the West is st still going to be good. The only team that's really going to fall out is Oklahoma City. And I don't see that as a bad, it's, it could be a blessing in disguise because they can get lottery luck again and land like a Jalen Green or a BJ Boston or something like that that actually fits next to John ja Jaren in terms of timeline. And I know I'm not a fan of eating up 2021 cap space because I, Chris, I want to see if you shared the same sentiment. Joe kind of came up, Joe and I kind of came up with this thing to where Jaron and Jaw, your max players, they're just not on max contracts yet. So whatever cap space you need to use, 
should be defined, you know, that third, fourth, fifth guy. You know, guys like in 2021, at least, like a Duncan Robinson, OG Ananobi, Josh Hart, a player of that caliber. Uh, well, well, you hit you hit one of my OG Ananobi. That's my that's my that's my new guy. I'm trying to get into a Grizzlies uniform down the line. Like that that's my new um, restricted future restricted free agent. They won't be able to get, but I would like to see in a Grizzlies uniform. I think that's my guy. Um, I think. Well, I think the thing about sort of waiting to to make to make a move is you'll you'll know more about your team when when that happens. And so my my hope would be. I mean, you you know, if John Morant. It's not going to be the best guy on a title contender. You're just not going to be a title, not going to be a title contender. So like that, that is is what it is. I don't think we can say for certainty like Jaron Jackson's the number two guy on a title contender. I think there's a lot of reason to hope that's true and think that can be true. Um, but I think you'll know a lot more a year from now than you you know right now in terms of him coming coming off that 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 knee injury. I think what we saw in the bubble and it was only three games, but you saw a guy who was not only stroking threes, but getting to the rack like consistently. Um, and that kind of just matchup nightmare from a seven footer, six, 11, seven footer, who is maybe the best big three point shooter in the game and can still, it's not one dimensional. And so to me that like 25 points a game for three games he showed was not a fluke. Like that should be a, a preview of coming attractions, but I don't think you can have certainty about that. And so I think, you know, if, if you wait, if you keep your resources in check, both in terms of your draft picks and, and the money until next summer, you'll have a much better idea of what, you know, how close you are to a title level packing order. And if you believe Morant Jackson can be one, two, given the right players around them, that's great. If you don't, you think Jackson maybe needs to be a number three, then maybe that change sort of changes what you do. But again, I'm not saying I wouldn't make a move now. And I, like I mentioned, like Buddy Hill, has, I have some interest in that depending on what it would take. But I, I would not be in a hurry. I, I think I've said this on Jeff Calkins' show, and I'll write it at some point. But one of the things about this roster is that it has not exhausted its mystery, either for fans, I think, or for the organization. Like they've never seen Justice Winslow in a Grizzlies uniform. Um, you know, I mean, Jared Jackson Jr. is so young, and and Anthony Melton is so young. And then the idea of rolling this back with the core they already have does not feel like treading water to me. Um, Cause there's just so much, there's so much you can still learn about what you have. To me, there's not a lot of, there's not a great impetus to, to want to change it up yet. I agree completely. To me, Justice Winslow is going to be the main factor that kind of determines what leap you make as a franchise. And again, it's going to be good to see, he's going to have some desire to compete and be uh, impressive because that contract that last year is a team option. So that's not something you know, he could find himself out $13 million essentially, or almost $13 million uh, if he doesn't perform or if he's not healthy. So I think we're going to see the very best of justice Winslow heading into these next couple of seasons. We're wrapping up here with Chris Harrington of the daily Memphian. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Chris Harrington, Chris, I'll get you out of here on this. And Parker, I want uh, your call as well. Uh, two, two parter here, Chris, one, does Memphis pick at 40? And two, who do they select? So do you think they might trade back? Do you think they might trade up? Obviously, the draft itself has to play out. They might have a guy who falls they're in love with. But just your general gut feeling in an uncertain draft, do they make that pick at 40 or will they pick somewhere else? And who do you think they should? Uh, who will be their main target? 
I mean, I think the usually the odds are it's, it's it's better bet that nothing happens than something happens. Right. I don't think that's true in the second round necessarily because every year there's just chaos in the second round, like guys teams moving up and down and selling picks and buying picks and and so I think it is unlikely that they just pick forty and like that's it or maybe you know and so. I'm skeptical about them moving up into the first round. It seems to me like this is not the draft to use future resources to move up. Um, and I think the Grizzlies, unless they fall in love with someone, they probably recognize that from a value standpoint. You don't want to trade the future for right now relative to this particular draft. But I don't think you need to like, trade future first-round picks to move up into the, in the second round or move around in the second round. And so my guess is one way or another they'll do something and to, to move around. And maybe that's jumping up a few spots to grab a guy you're not sure is going to be there at 40. In terms of who it would be, like, I really have no idea. But but I do think there is a rationale for wanting a third point guard on the roster and a rationale that you're much better off doing that in the draft than going out and just signing some some minimum contract guy in free agency who's really just waiting around in case you need him and doesn't have future value for you. So I'll say, like, maybe Peyton Pritchard. If I just throw a name out, I'll throw that name out because that's a guy I think will be there in the second round. It would, would make some sense for them. All right. Same question to you, Parker. Do they pick at 40, and who do they take? I think they will, and I think uh, to be different from Chris, they'll stick to their Duke guns, and they'll draft Cassius Stanley. Ooh, okay. If Cassius Stanley's there, that would be an intriguing option to say the least. Uh, I agree. You know, it's it's fun to kind of envision them moving up into the first round, but I do think you're right. They're going to be cognizant of their assets, hold on to them. I think they'll stay at 40, uh, maybe even trade back if somebody falls in love and they try to get later on in the second round. I do think they'll go with that backup point guard. I think Trey Jones uh, is going to be my my call if he's there i agree that that's somebody that like the lakers should seriously consider trey jones at their pick in the late first round but if he falls to 40 or wherever memphis is picking in the second i think that's going to be the guy chris thank you so much for joining us it's appreciated as always hopefully we'll be able to have you back on down the road all right thanks guys all right for chris Chris. for parker i'm joe molinax enjoy the draft we'll be back next week breaking down everything that happened grind forth grizz nation this is grizzly bear blues live